You're listening to Business 1110 KTEK. I'm Paul Loudon, and this is Theories of Mind, where we try to help you understand the various challenges and opportunities facing those of us with mental health differences. Um, one thing that a lot of people struggle with, and this is ties into the idea that uh, mental health isn't just for those who have a diagnosis, but it's also for those who want to be healthy. Uh, we have a concept of you know wellness visits for people where you go to see a doctor even though you're ostensibly well just to check up on things and uh you know for mental health we should all be keeping conscious of the state our minds in whether or not we have a specific diagnosis um and and one thing that uh everyone today struggles with uh, at times is anxiety and worry and this can be all the way from having a diagnosed disorder to just the regular anxieties and worries of your day-to-day life and uh so today we're going to be talking with someone who has a book out now called Stopping the Noise in Your Head, The New Way to Overcome Anxiety and Worry. And he's going to talk to us a bit about what anxiety and worry are, where they come from, and and ways we can deal with them and improve our response to them in day-to-day life. Uh, Because it's so important, you know, when you're trying to do anything, be it, you know, someone autistic trying to address their autism or someone uh, else, you know, just trying to get by day to day, that you, you deal with the different parts of what's standing in your way. And in many cases, many of us see anxiety and uh, worry standing in our way and preventing us from doing what we want to do. You're listening to Business 1110 KTEK. I'm Paul Loudon. This is Theories of Mind, and we'll be back in just a moment. If you're over the age of 50 and considering buying an annuity in the next 60 days, I have some urgent news for you. Don't buy an annuity until you understand the pros and cons of annuities. A free book to help you maximize your retirement income from PBS host and three-time author Josh Melberg has been released. This book reveals little-known truths about annuity strategies in simple-to-understand terms. Grab a pen right now because we're about to offer you this free book that unlocks the five little-known secrets we believe baby boomers and seniors should know before buying an annuity. Call 800-422-3838 now to get your personalized copy rushed to you today. Do you want to avoid mistakes baby boomers and seniors can make when they buy annuities? Those mistakes now could be costly later to you and your family. Call 800-422-3838. That's 800-422-3838. Employees of J.D. Melberg Financial have the appropriate licenses for the products they offer. This is Business 1110. You're listening to Business 1110, KTEK. I'm Paul Loudon. This is Theories of Mind. Uh, We're going to be talking today about anxiety with uh, Dr. Reed Wilson, Ph.D. Uh, Mr. Wilson, you're with us. I'm here, Paul. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about this. It's such an important factor in a lot of people's lives. Sure. Glad to do it. So uh, could we just start off by talking a little bit about you, what your background is, where you're coming from with this? Well, I'm, I'm a specialist in anxiety disorders. I'm, I'm old. I've been doing this for a while, probably almost 35 years, and started had my first book back in 1986 called Don't Panic, and then uh, a second book called Stop Obsessing, and um, I've got a work that I've done with kids and parents and so forth and written about this. So this is really the culmination of uh, about 35 years of my work to say, how do we do what we need to do to fix things about 
anxiety and worry. And that's really important. I mean, I know a lot of us feel like, uh, you know, worry takes a huge role in our lives, especially these days with the amount of information around and, you know, politics and everything going on, especially today with uh, elections coming up in a month. A lot of people have a lot of anxieties just about everything in day-to-day life. So, um, you know, there's just worry everywhere, and, and it's overwhelming. So uh, I guess, you know, where do we start in looking at this as something to address, something to improve? Well, I, you know, the <clears throat> title of this book is uh, Stopping the Noise in Your Head. That's the way we want to look at worry. It's either a signal or noise. Obviously, we're not going to stop worrying. It's a critical part of our psyche. We, we need that skill. It helps organize us and prioritize our tasks and so forth. But, but the problem with worry it's, is it's, it's noisy. And you know, the other thing with worry is it's 100% negative. It says nothing positive. So we have to be able to step back a little bit and distinguish whether this is a worry that's in my mind right now that is a signal, something I need to do something about, and that's my job is to go into problem solving, or is noise a repetitious, unproductive thought that's stressing us out? Even if it's a significant topic, it doesn't get to nickel and dime you all day, and that's part of what worry does. It keeps saying, I'm important, I'm important, I'm important, and it sucks your attention. And that, you know, is, is so true that uh, a lot of times uh, with a challenging task or with uh, something coming up, the worry can present more of a challenge than the actual task itself just because you can have such a hard time uh, filtering out that noise. I mean, you know, you've got a lot going on in your head, and what drains the most of your energy is often, you know, what has control over you because if it's draining you, you feel the need to address it. and. Worry often feels like something you can't address until the situation has changed. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, so what do we do about that? You said it, it only focuses on the negative. How, how do we deal with that? Well, it, which is fine. And so what we want to be able to do when the worry pops up is to step back and go, okay, am I going to respond to this? Is this useful? Is it important? Do I need to pay attention to it? Or do I need to work on whatever... I can do to just let it go and pay attention to other things. So that's the the first step we need to do is to step back and have, get a kind of analytic look at this thing instead of letting it run us all day. If we are susceptible to worry, and you know the people who are most susceptible are people who can't tolerate uncertainty, can't tolerate doubt. You know, we've I've, I've talked to some folks in the financial business, and and you know, people who worry because they can't tolerate uncertainty, they tend to make impulsive decisions to to sell off stock that that they should really hold on to, or or they don't take any risks whatsoever because they have to be certain, and then they you know are moved towards retirement and aren't ready for it. So, l- lots of those things can happen to people who must. Be reassured that everything is okay. So, so you know, just to wrap up what I'm saying right now is we need to learn to tolerate not knowing what the answer is and stepping forward anyway. So if we can kind of elevate our thinking, get to a higher level awareness to go, okay, look, this is hard for me. It's uh, tendon, I tend to 
you know, need to get closure, know for sure, I'm going to step forward anyway, and I'm going to have to feel some anxiety and some worry, and that's fine. It comes with the territory. Let's get going. And I I know that uh, in my past, uh, anxiety and worry have led me to make wrong decisions at times. I know particularly, um, you know, when trying to uh, do school-related things when I was younger, college, uh, a lot of times the anxiety of a, a due project or something. Uh, now, to preface this, I have autism, and so I have a tendency to uh, see things in more absolute than a lot of people did. But my, my anxiety would lead me to shut down, where I would just say, you know what, the stress of this project is so high for me that I'll just decide now not to do it, and that would release me from the anxiety. I wasn't able to cope with it. And I know that uh, you know neurotypical people or other people may not have so much of an absolute, but you were talking about, you know, financial people, you know, the more money is on a decision, the, the again, the more the decision it weighs, and sometimes that will lead people to take no risks whatsoever just because then they don't have that anxiety, then they don't have that worry, where some risks, calculated risks, can, can be more valuable, can, can have a better outcome. So where do you begin with the idea of, you know, approaching worry and learning how to you know, tolerate, learning how to accept that it's a natural part of our decision-making process. Well, you listen to shows like this. <laughs> this is one of the ways. But well, let me go back to what you were saying about your decision-making. You were saying, boy, I got, I would, you know, face this task, and I, it got so overwhelming to me, and I got so caught up in my worry that I stepped back, that I avoided. And when I avoided, I then got calm, you know, I moved toward comfort. And so, you know, that's the other piece that we need to be paying attention to. If you want to learn something new, if you want to, you know, learn a language that you've never taken before, a new athletic skill, um, any um, level of skill or knowledge, you have to be willing to be awkward, clumsy, insecure, maybe even embarrassed, because that is the first phase of learning something new. So again, if we, we step up, we kind of step back from this initial con, you know, topic that we're concerned about when worry shows up and step up to a concept of, wait a minute, I, I keep going to a position of comfort in order to feel secure, and that's not working for me. I'm not, you know, we've we got to have an outcome picture you know, if you're afraid to fly, then because you're afraid the plane's going to crash or whatever it may be, it, you have to have an outcome picture. Like, I want to get to the wedding next June on the other side of the country. That's important to me. I want to take this job that requires flying. That's important to me. Therefore, I'm going to push through this fear. So we've got we to gotta step forward. We also have to have trust in what we're doing is the best shot at getting our outcome picture because we're not otherwise we're just going to suffer stepping into the the distress and anxiety so so again this this whole idea of getting a concept of the bigger picture work we have to do and so uh you know in that case uh it, it can be very hard to sort of reframe uh some of those things i know that uh you know when you look at the big picture 
you know, the the wedding in June is in June, and the fear of flight is now and tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after for, you know, 150 days or whatever. You're, you're looking at, you know, a lot of time where this anxiety is living with you, um, you know, and, and uh, as you said, it is very much, you know, an issue of noise, and there's that idea in signals processing of the, the signal-to-noise ratio. You know, your, your signal is, I have to get to the wedding. It's, it's a one-day, very big signal, but it, it's a one point, and then you've got, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks of, of the noise of, of your brain. So how do we start to rein some of this noise in? Yeah, so, you know, a good question. And we really, if, if you can go with this idea around reframing, we've got, we've got a voice inside us that is worried. We're not going to extinguish that voice. We don't have to stop that worried process. We need to bring up another voice that says, I want to go for this. And, of course, we're not, like, going... Okay, you know, I got 150 days to wait until the flight, and I'm just going to quiet my worry. I got to do some things to get myself ready for that. I've got to actually do some practices and so forth and work out some things for myself. But we need to have a second voice that comes up in that moment, and then we need to elevate that voice. Because too often we sit there, we have these both these voices, you know, we argue with yourself ourselves. Oh, I'm going to step forward. I really need to do this. No, this is too scary for me. I shouldn't do it. We can't. That doesn't help. We have to lift that more, you know, therapeutic voice, so to speak, to say, I'm doing this. I'm going to face what it takes. I'm going to get started now. What can I do today to begin to chip away at this? So that that is the strength that we want to step into, a voice that takes care of our worried side and or doesn't listen to it. You know, it's just, it's noise. If it was a signal, the interesting thing is all worries come into the brain as signals, all of them. So we actually have to sort through them. And so once we sort through and say, this is noise, I'm not paying attention to it, or this is a signal, I'm afraid to fly, what's my plan? Let's get started on the plan. I, I don't know about you, but I get big projects in my lap all the time. When I don't start it, I worry much more than when I start it, even if I just do an hour on a you know 20-hour, 30-hour project. It gives me a sense of I can do this, and that's the other message we've got to be able to give ourselves. I can do this, and if we don't know how to do it, we need to ask for help so that we can figure this out. And I know that um, my situation can be a little bit unique uh, just because of my autism. I early on learned that there were a lot of things I couldn't do that later I found out I could do. I just didn't have the tools to do them yet because I didn't understand the differences in my personal processing from the world around me. But uh, it led to a lot of those anxieties. And I think in sort of a turn, it also led to the banishment of a lot of anxieties later on. I do a lot of public speaking. People ask me, you know, how are you able to get in front of an audience and, and be so comfortable speaking? And it's like, well, my whole life, I was uncomfortable speaking, even in one-on-one -on -one situations. So when I finally realized how I addressed that, it, it became, you know, globally applicable. It became applicable to the, the large-scale speaking, too, because it's always just one audience. Um, we're going to be taking a quick commercial break here. When we come back, we're going to talk more about anxiety and how to address it. You're listening to Business Living 10, KTEK. I'm Paul Loudon. This is Theories of Mind, and we'll be back in just a moment. Mm -hmm. 
There is no current Republican incumbent in the 125th District Court. Change that by supporting Sharon Hemphill, an experienced, diligent Republican attorney, having represented more than 380 litigants in the Harris County District Courts alone. The Conservative Review stated that as a candidate for judge of the 125th District Court, Sharon Hemphill is overwhelmingly qualified. Sharon's commitment to conservative and constitutional principles, where each lawyer and each litigant is treated with respect and dignity, make her stand out. She's a conservative Republican who supports fiscal responsibility and smaller government. Get to know Sharon Hemphill at SharonHemphillForJudge.com. That's Sharon Hemphill, the number four, judge.com. Political advertising paid for by the Campaign for Sharon Hemphill campaign in compliance with the voluntary limits of the Judicial Campaign Fairness Act. This is Business 1110. You're listening to Business 1110, KTEK. I'm Paul Loudon. This is Theories of Mind. We've been talking with Dr. Reed Wilson about anxiety and how to deal with it. And, you know, one of the things about anxiety is, uh, you know, you mentioned that it all comes in as signal, but then it can, you know, translate into noise and we need to be uh, good at filtering, but uh, what is this process that, that brings it in like that? Like, why do we find ourselves with so much worry, with so much anxiety, when for most people, all it does is serves as apparently a detriment to our ability to achieve things? Well, I think, you know, modern society in, in, in one sense helps promote all this worry. We, you know, we're never able to get away from work because we got our cell phones and messages. You know, I'm getting messages from your folks early this morning about making sure I was coming and so forth. And so we've get, we, we have a lot of pressure these days about performance. We also have a kind of perfectionism. We want to get things right. We want, we want to perform at our highest level. And so worry comes in at, at that point. We're a global village. We hear about all these threats and dangers all over the world now and it's and it's easy to think that they could happen at any moment to us and and then the other thing that happens most often with people who have some forms of worries is is that we actually had some kind of trauma in some way and you know you with public speaking if at some point you had a panic attack while you're up talking and had to leave the stage that's a trauma to you if you're walking down the sidewalk coming in to see me I live in the country. You might come across a snake occasionally, just black snakes, safe enough. But that will be a little trauma, so to speak. We have a we create a little fear structure about public speaking, our fear structure about snakes, and then our unconscious says, "Look, boss, I'll protect you. You know, and I'll protect you. You're going to have to tolerate a bunch of false positives. I'm going to tell you things are danger." when they're really not, but I'm trying to make sure you don't step on another snake that might harm you. So we've got all these coming our way that intrude, and we have to, as I said before, start sorting them through. And I think we probably worry more than we did 100 years ago, just because of the, the way life is speeding up. And that's probably true. I mean, you know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 500 years ago, you didn't really have the same sort of global information sources as you do today. I mean, you know, the Internet is just a 20 or 30 year thing. I mean, it's, it's a little longer than that technically, but when it was showing up in homes, when people had it, you know, now we're able to read about 
you know, the loss of the Great Barrier Reef, where that might just be a public interest story, you know, once or twice a year on the local news. Now it's something that, you know, those of us who are worried about the environment will end up checking on regularly to see if Australia has passed any new laws or is addressing it or whatever. And and every little issue in the world is like that, where, you know, somebody is focused on it, somebody is, is worried about it. Whether or not it can have a direct impact on their lives, it, it's, you know, in there as a little buzzing noise, and it, it adds up. Um you know, again, uh, through the lens of my autism, I, you know, struggled a lot, you know, growing up. I had a lot of um, of those traumas. A lot of them were with uh, teachers or uh, other students where basic social communication had breakdowns, where I was undiagnosed, so I didn't know what was going wrong. And I, I built up this overall feeling uh, with the world around me that I just couldn't interact with people in a constructive way. And it eventually, you know, just got worse and worse to the point where, you know, my whole life was a series of anxieties. And uh, even now, I, I still work off that somewhat. I have some of those, you know, leftover situations where certain statements will leave me doing poorly. If someone says, you speak very well, I hear in my head, for an autistic person, I have those lasting traumas. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it can be challenging. But, uh, you know, as I learn about myself and the autism, I've learned how to look at these and filter out some of the false positives like you were talking about. That, uh, you know, a lot of the things that went wrong, they were things that, uh, you know, I couldn't be expected to get right. That I, I didn't have the tools yet. I didn't have the knowledge yet. Um, I know that uh, when I play competitive things, when I do things competitively, I never want to be the best person in the group. I, I want to play my best or do my best, but I never want to be the best person in my group because I know that if I'm standing at the top, then I'm not improving, then I'm not uh, facing challenges that give me the opportunity to learn, to see someone else do it differently, or to be in a situation where something has gone wrong and do it differently. And, and from what I'm hearing from you, it sounds like the the anxieties sort of create that situation in our lives as well, that uh, they put us in a position where we are forced to ask some questions and think actively about what's going on. And if we aren't doing that active thinking, if we aren't, uh, you know, actually doing analysis, then they can easily sort of overwhelm us. We're going to be going into a break uh, real quick. But uh, when we come back, I'd like to start talking about some of that process of, you know, now that we're looking at anxieties a little differently, how do we move forward with that and take it into doing something useful? You're listening to Business 1110 KTEK. I'm Paul Loudon. This is Theories of Mind. And we'll be back in just a moment. following update is for drivers who pay too much for car insurance due to DUIs, DWIs, tickets, or anything else. By now, you know all too well that SR22 Auto Insurance is way more than you'd ever want to pay. You probably thought you didn't have a choice, but you were wrong. Our company specializes in low-cost, very affordable SR22 auto insurance for high-risk drivers. We know that mistakes happen, so take pride in being able to offer absolutely free quotes for this very affordable auto insurance meant specifically for you, the overpaying high-risk driver. We're standing by at 800-749-2984. The only thing you need to do is stop waiting around while your monthly payments stay as high as they are. Our knowledgeable representatives are ready for your call at 800-749-2984. 
The quote is free, and we'll even handle the filings so you could start saving money every month even sooner. Call 800-749-2984. That's 800-749-2984. Once more, 800-749-2984. This is Business 1110. You're listening to Business 1110, KTEK. I'm Paul Love, this is Theories of Mind. We've been talking with Dr. Reed Wilson about anxiety. Uh, so... You know, it, it sounds like your approach is instead of trying to run from our anxieties or decrease them by avoidance or, uh, you know, focusing on low anxiety tasks is to learn to face them and, and push through them. How, how do we get started really trying to do this? Well, let me back up uh, to, to respond to some of the things that you were saying. You were talking about your autism and insecurity and with other people. And, you know, if we go into the anxiety field, we might talk about uh, social anxieties, and I think that's part of what you were experiencing. The, p- the person who feels like awkward and clumsy in front of other people and that they may be judged, they don't want to get kicked out of the tribe. You know, we think about that in evolutionary psychology point of view. We have to be in the tribe or we will not survive out there. And, and that it, you're going to, you know, getting in the tribe is very difficult and getting kicked out of the tribe is very easy. And really, that's exactly the opposite of what the truth is you you can people will accept you when you treat them with respect and you have to be a pretty big jerk for people to kick you out of the tribe but what people do who are afraid they're going to make a mistake is that they get quiet and that's the last thing you want to do because if you're quiet no one knows you and so you're the solution that we pick almost spontaneously, contributes to the problem. The other thing you were talking about is about anxiety and and you being on a sports team and and you don't want to be on a team where you're the best player. And perfect. That is such a great example. Because, But that's not your anxiety that makes that decision, I don't think. I think that's a kind of executive in you that, that has a point of view, which is I want to be on a team with people who are better than me because even though I may not be the best player, I get to keep learning from them. I'm going to get stronger by putting myself on this particular team. The interesting study they did about online um, uh, uh, chess players and poker players and so forth, you, you actually can pick people who are either equal to you or less than you or better than you. The players who enjoyed playing the most were ones who picked a competitor that was slightly better than them. And I think that's so interesting, that's, and that goes to your point, Paul. I want to put myself in that circumstance because I have the possibility of winning, but I, but I have to use my skills to actually win. So those, those, you know, again, we're coming back to that kind of framing up the system about what it's going to take to get stronger. Not, you don't have to worry about getting better, you know, oh, I no longer am anxious, just stronger, being able to face things more powerfully. And that's really important is that, uh, you know, a lot of people tend to think of things all or nothing that, you know, if I've got anxieties about this, then I need to figure out how to banish the anxieties. But it's it's also very much about learning how to, or not also very much, but instead very much about learning how to manage them and how to, you know, address what anxieties you can, but learn to accept the anxieties that you can't and, and figure out 
what message they're bringing you. Because as you said, the anxieties, you know, they do come in as signal and they date back uh, to, you know, survival techniques. They date back to us, our, our, our minds keeping us conscious of things that may be a risk to us. And now maybe we over categorize things as risks. Maybe we, uh, you know, become anxious about things that, that we may not need that anxiety about. But it stems from tools that kept us alive in the past. So uh, we're going to be going into another break in just about a minute here. But uh, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, again, that, that idea that there is signal in them and how we make use of our anxieties, how we, you know, improve them. Because, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there are some practical steps people can start making to, to doing better in these situations. Uh, you've been listening to Business 1110, KTEK. I'm Paul Loudon. This is Theories of Mind, and we'll be back in just a moment. Are you living with pain? I was, after a nasty fall. I got relief with one-hour pain relief. I'm Barry Yarconi, president, and here's Lisa, a Marine who was injured in Iraq. After surviving an explosion, I was on horrible painkillers for lingering head, shoulder, back, and knee pain. But I hated the dangers and side effects. My friend told me about one-hour pain relief, and now I'm off the drugs. One-hour pain relief is the result of 15 years of research on an amazing extract from hops, the plant used to flavor beer. Whether your pain is from an injury or just aging, you get safe all-day relief in less than one hour. We're so sure you'll love one-hour pain relief, too, that we'll send you a one-week trial for just a small shipping charge. Call 800-269-4200 right now. That's 800-269-4200. There's no gimmicks, no obligation, no automatic shipments. Stop living with pain. Call 800-269-4200 for your one-week trial or visit OneHourPainRelief.com. That's 800-269-4200. This is Business 1110. You're listening to Business 1110. KTEK, I'm Paul Lowell, and this is Theories of Mind, where we try to help you understand the challenges and opportunities facing those of us with mental health struggles. Uh, We've been talking about anxiety with Dr. Reed Wilson, uh, and I wanted to talk a little bit about, I guess, more practical steps. Um, you know, when you have this, once you have this idea that uh, anxiety is something that, you know, you need to address, look at, understand, and, uh, you know, push against rather than something that, you know, you let control you, how do you begin to go about really doing something about it? Well, you, uh, you know, before the break, you were talking about, you know, the urge to banish <laughs> some of these symptoms. And, and that's a, a perfect example of what we do wrong, which is this getting rid of uh, process. You know, I'm, I'm a psychologist, so I treat people with anxiety. People come in to my office every day and, of course, want to get rid of their symptoms. And, you know, that's how I build my career, helping people do that. But what I want to convey to them is the outcome that you would like and the process of getting there are absolutely opposite. You do not want to be trying to push away the anxiety and, and the worry. That's bad form. This is, you know, if you had your grandchild or child and they wanted to have you push them higher on the swing, you're standing behind that pendulum and you're pushing that swing. And as you push it, you push it away from you, that child swings higher. When you push away symptoms, as though they're wrong, they're bad, you can't tolerate them, 
you add fuel to the fire. You add energy to the pattern. So we really do want to, and again, I, you know, I haven't said this to you, but I'm a cognitive psychologist, so, so I'm going to look at belief systems and points of view and some of these higher-level things. So, so you know, one of the messages I want to give myself is I'm, I'm not going to try to get rid of this. I'm going to try. I'm going to bring it with me. You know, if it's anxiety, I'm going to bring it with me. And so that's courage, right? We're not going to, people want to be confident. They want to, you know, please teach me uh, how to relax so I can get up and give a talk and have no one see my handshake ever again. Well, that's not going to work. You know, therapeutically, we want to be going, well, you know, I'm going to learn that I can get up there and give a talk. And if people see my handshake, people see my handshake. That's just, that's how it's going to be. You can't get confidence at the beginning. You have to work toward that. And the other thing I I would just say that kind of goes counter to what other people tend to talk about is this idea of relaxation, which is relaxation is wonderful. Mindfulness, meditation, relaxing, and so forth. But when I go into a threatening situation, if I somehow need to now make myself relaxed, that's something I would call arousal incongruent. You know, I'm in a circumstance where I'm threatened. Now I have to change my physiology to a relaxed state. That's really too difficult. I'd rather do something that is what I would call arousal congruent. I can still be anxious. I don't have to get rid of that. And I need to have the courage to step forward with it. We'll see what it's like on the back side. And I know I find in those sort of, I'm going to call them fight or flight moments, even though, you know, when you're standing on stage talking to a crowd of 800, it's not fight or flight so much as, you know, speaker silent. But in those fight or freeze. Yeah. That's freeze. But in those moments, uh, I find that my anxieties have a way of focusing me in a lot of cases that when, when I'm anxious, I'm elevated. And in the right circumstances, I can turn that elevation into you know, my energy for the talk or whatever it is I'm doing. Uh, Afterwards, I'm drained. But I I found that, you know, sometimes my anxieties drive me forward because the only way out is through. Right. But I, I would contend that that is a point of view you have adopted, that when you get anxious, you reframe it as, you know, this is energy just like excitement. I'm just going to take the, you know, I'm not going to get rid of this. I'm going to take advantage of it. I'm going to use it. There, there's a, a, a 60 Minutes to the show. I'm the president of a, of a college that has really done incredible work bringing people of color and poor people and so forth into you know STEM work or engineering and sciences and so forth, just achieve tremendous things. And they had a little clip at the end where he's speaking to one of the classes. And at the, at the end of his little talk, he brings both hands up to his face and, and brings them forward repeatedly saying, focus, focus, focus. He says it three times, and as he begins to say it, the entire class of 35 college students said it with him, which what, what that means is he, as an entire school, they have trained these students to focus their attention, how important it is, and to give themselves a little command that they can use when they start to get distracted at the library or, you know, think they'd rather go play basketball instead of study. So that's, 
you know, what you're talking about, Paul, that you have done in your life is a lot what we're talking about in general we need to do is reframing these things, adopt that position, and then step forward into the abyss <laughs> to some degree. And I know in your book, you, you talk some about the idea of self-talk, and you were talking there with the focus, focus, focus. You know, how, how is self-talk a, a tool to really help us adjust how we deal with these things? Well, to me, to me, self-talk is everything. You know, so we start with a point of view. All the things you and I have been talking about is, you know, changing our point of view about how to f- handle some of these worries and anxieties. And then we need to bring that point of view down to the moment in which I have a message that's relatively simple that I give myself in tough times, but represents the point of view. We talk to ourselves all day long. You know, 25% of our waking day is a conversation inside our head. So we can really take advantage of that. And that's that focus, focus, focus. Or, you know, in sports, we do it all the time. Before you go to, you know, take a golf swing, you, you know, you say, follow through. I was playing pool for the first time in probably eight years with my friend. And after I took a few shots, he said, you know, follow through, right? And as soon as I heard him say that, I could say that to myself. And then, you know, that was incredibly helpful. And in my play, I did eventually beat him. So um, I'm sure he would beat me many, many, many more times, but at least I, you know, approach that. So we, so we want to have a conversation inside our head in such a way that we step forward instead of stepping back. And that, you know, I think is a key thing to remember right there is just the idea of stepping forward that, uh, you know, this this is something I talk about with, uh, you know, therapy and addressing things a lot of the times is, you know, the goal isn't necessarily to win. You won't always win. You won't always reach whatever goal you've set as a point. But the goal is always to be moving forward to... Uh, to acknowledge that that progress is progress, and if you can keep making progress, then you're always going to be further along than you were before. And I think, you know, that's got to ring true with anxieties as well, is that, you know, sometimes they will get the best of you, but maybe you got more of this project done before running away, or maybe you got up on stage and you managed to deliver half your speech before you froze. And, you know, there are lessons to be learned there. So, you know, I, you know, I think emotionally it's like any muscle where... Uh, you know, you exercise it and it gains strength. Is that sort of how it works? Uh, sure, and I, and I think you're right around, you know, not always expect to be winning the competition, but you can work on having a personal best. You can, you know, pick something in all this process that you want to focus on and get better about it. You know, here's a, here's a stupid little example. But, you know, I was on hold for 15 minutes waiting for this whole show, and I had just eaten a little snack. Well, I... My my obsession, my worry, so you're kind of an obsession and compulsion. My obsession was, oh, my voice is going to crack when Paul starts to talk to me. I can't have that. My compulsion was to clear my throat. I probably cleared my throat 20 times on hold with you so that as though that's going to work and I'm not going to have any trouble, you know, when I talk to you. That That's... That's a pattern we want to catch and go, okay, wait a minute, I've cleared my throat enough, I'll handle it. If my voice cracks, uh, we'll just keep moving. But, but that's that kind of certainty that we need to be managing. So there's a kind of personal best to go, okay, let me get a little bit better than I was 
yesterday about this particular problem. That's my objective. And I know that uh, I cough in every commercial break and clear my throat because uh, I am afraid that I'm going to need to. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be talking for a 13-minute segment there, and I want to make sure <laughs> that I can speak. Uh, so well, I, there it I, is. I, I there run it into is. the exact same situation where I'm, I'm constantly worrying about that. I know that... Uh, that's that pan- Let me just say, that's that panic. We talk about OCD, obsessive-compulsive disorder, but so much of all the worries that we do are... Or this pattern, I have an obsession, a worry, and then I have a compulsion. How, I, how do I get rid of this worry? So I'm going to clear my throat over and over again, or I'm, or I'm going to get asked for reassurance if it's something I'm unsure about. Or I, you know, on and on, I'm going to check the doors and windows to make sure they're locked. I'm going to you know, call again to make sure we're on for today. Whatever it may be, there's that pattern. And if we can notice that pattern, try to get a little bit better about that. Of course, our example of clearing our throat or coughing is a small thing, but it does represent what happens in the bigger things, too. And it's it's very illustrative because it shows that, you know, up and down from little things to huge things, we have these aspects of our life where uh, we, we have a worry, and oftentimes we address that worry without thinking about it, where we do this thing like coughing and clearing our throats that don't actually address the worry. They're just a way of postponing it. Um, and since we haven't resolved where the worry comes from, you know, the worry returns in a few minutes, and then we clear our throat again, and then the worry returns in a few minutes, and then we clear our throat again. And, and we're not making real progress. We're just sort of entering a mental holding pattern where we're keeping that worry at bay without... Uh, really addressing things, and that uh, you know that that can't be a long-term solution. Just because you know the more worries you put at bay, well, something new is going to come to worry you because life is full of the little worries. And if you keep pushing all your worries back, the pile you're pushing gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually you're just not going to have the strength to keep pushing it because the pile has gotten too big for all of your little habits and. Uh, delays and things like that, and it it just feels like it'll get overwhelming. So yeah, and that's um, it's important why we go back to the beginning of the conversation. I got to pick and choose which worries merit me putting energy into them, and which wor- worries should I begin to challenge in such a way as I can, you know, I can manage it. You and I so far haven't coughed in the middle of this or had to clear our throats in the middle of this. So sometimes on the backside of these events, we can go, you know, my anticipatory anxiety, my anticipatory dread was not predictive of the event. So I can learn from my experience, but then I got to absorb that learning. So next time I go, wait a minute, I've been here before. I know what I'm doing. You know, we got to challenge those things. And, and part of, we've we got to have some experiences that allow us to challenge them. I can and, uh, talk till I'm blue in the face. You may not have uh, coughed in the middle of the show, but my mic's, us- mic's usually on mute while you're speaking, so I uh, have that freedom. But uh, we're going to be going into a quick break. Uh, when we come back, i really like to talk about just how to get started with this, because we don't have that much long left in the show. You know, uh, some solid points where people might be able to get started on doing this for themselves. Uh, you're listening to Business 1110 KTEK. I'm Paul Loudon. This is Theories of Mind. We'll be back in just a moment.
Owing money to the IRS is terrifying, especially when you're fighting alone. It's David versus Goliath, and at any moment they can take your paycheck, seize everything you own, and even throw you in jail. At U.S. Tax Shield, we can immediately stop the harassment and get you protected, while our experienced team of tax experts work on significantly reducing what you owe. Our IRS insiders know the laws and can take full advantage of the government's new Fresh Start initiative. This crucial knowledge can reduce your debt in ways you never imagined. In fact, these strategies have saved U.S. Tax Shield's clients nearly $3 million in 2016 alone, and we have an A-plus rating with a Better Business Bureau. Fighting alone is expensive and leaves you completely exposed to the IRS's aggressive tactics. But you can end the anxiety with one simple phone call. If you owe over $10,000 or have unfiled returns, call U.S. Tax Shield now and learn about our price protection guarantee. The call's completely confidential, free, and there's no obligation. Call 800-997-5308. That's 800-997-5308. 800-997-5308. This is Business 1110. You're listening to Business 1110. KTK, I'm Paul Dunn. This is Theory's Mind. We've been talking with Dr. Reed Wilson about anxiety. And before the break, I said I just want to... You know, talk a little bit about some concrete starting points, how people can get started, you know, doing this in their day-to-day lives before they then hopefully go on and read your book and find out more about it. Uh, well, sure, and I and I would say that I think we have actually been doing that, uh, giving them concrete ideas. But we'll back up and just, just review that for a little bit. First is establish what you want to change. Where What is that outcome picture? And make sure you want that strongly enough in order to, to have that kind of energy to step forward into difficulties. The second thing is listen in for your resistance. You know, what am, what am I saying? What am I, you know, ta- how am I talking to myself by saying, oh my gosh, I don't want to do this. This is too hard for me and so forth. We are working memory, what we have at any one moment. There's only four chunks we can hold on to. And if we're going to spend our time fighting and resisting, we don't have enough skills to, you know, step forward well. Then we want to, you know, set a course. You know, if if my outcome is in seven months is to be able to take a flight across country, what kind of practices do I need to do in month one? You know, if I have any other kind of fear or phobia, I can work on that, my fear of elevators, my fear of water and so forth, because those phobias are much more available to practice our skills than the fear of flying. So a chart a course, chipping away at this, you know, working on personal best every week. Then also understand that this is a natural process that we're going to want to fight against doing anything difficult. We want to be comfortable. We want to be secure. But, and, and I, you know, I certainly want to be comfortable lots of times, and I, I like to be right. You know, you can ask my wife about that. But, but if we're going to do a difficult task, we got to be willing to step to not know how it's going to go, and to do it anyway. And then we need to be listening in to those thoughts that we have, you know, all the resistance and so forth, and pull down a message that, we, that helps give us energy and charge. You know, if you're socially anxious, you may in class want to say, put your hand up, you know, speak up. You know, or, or, you know, any of those kinds of commands that we have to give ourselves in those moments to represent our goal of 
stepping forward into doubt and distress. And so, yeah, it sounds like it's really important then to to invite anxiety into your life, especially anxieties or uncertainties, rather, that you know you can manage. Because, you know, again, like a muscle, you don't improve something without exercising it. And so... I know that's something that I've done. I know I have a lot of anxieties uh, with uh, my approaching approach to autism is trying to introduce a little more uncertainty here or there about things uh, so that I have the opportunity to deal with it. Uh, we're going to be going into another break real quick. Uh, when we come back, I'd like just to ask you about any last important takeaways you feel people should have uh, from your message. Uh, you're listening to Business 1110 KTEK. I'm Paul Loudon. This is Theories of Mind, and we will be back in just a moment. I was 35 when my life and addiction started to spiral out of control. My ex-husband threatened to take our children away from me. I felt hopeless. He called elite rehab placement because I couldn't make the call. I was ashamed. I was given skills to manage my sadness and my anger. And more importantly, I'm three and a half years sober. I'm so grateful for all their help. And all it took was making one phone call. Elite Rehab can help you start to break your addiction problem and get sober in as little as seven days. And we'll work with your insurance provider to help cover the costs. Plus, we have travel assistance programs to get you here by plane or train. Make this free call right now to learn more. 800-819-8315-800-819-8315-800-819-8315. That's 800-819-8315. This is Business 1110. You're listening to Business 1110. KTEK, I'm Paul Loudon. This is Theories of Mind. We've been talking with Dr. Reed Wilson about anxiety disorder and treating it, uh, or anxiety and treating it. Uh, Dr. Wilson, uh, just we've got a couple minutes left. Uh, what major takeaway would you like to leave our audience with? Well, I'll, I'll say one thing we haven't really talked about much, which is the the neurology of all of this, this amygdala that's in there that is our fight-or-flight response. If we're going to get over a fear, we actually have to put that amygdala in a reasonable, facsimile, safe environment of that original trauma. If I'm going to overcome my fear of elevators, I've got to ride that elevator up and down a, a number of times to get stronger. But my prefrontal cortex, that all my talking, I've got to quiet that because if I keep scaring myself while I'm trying to do this, oh my God, is the cable going to break? Am I going to get stuck in here? That practice doesn't help. So we really want to be riding up and down that elevator saying to ourselves, this is exactly what I want to be doing right now. It's okay that I'm having these feelings. That is how you recover from a trauma. We've, we've, we're very clear about that now that you've got to go into, put your amygdala into those threatening situations and let it hang out and learn that this event is not like that event three years ago. And, and I, in this event, I don't need to secrete so much epinephrine for this guy. It's okay. And then over time, you start to improve. That's about a shift in your focus of attention and your attitude as you face these threatening situations. And so, um, 
Yeah, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's been really interesting having you talking about anxiety and how looking into anxiety, you know, you it, it's something to go through, not to run from. Uh, and, you know, I, I like that you brought up the, the amygdala and the fact that, you know, it is a physical response. When we enter these anxious situations, our body chemistry reacts to it, and uh, you can't really learn how to exist in a situation where you're having that physical reaction without doing so and and finding out you know how you react to it and, and how you can think during it um, so our guest today was dr. Reed Wilson uh, he is the author of uh, stopping the noise in your head the new way to overcome anxiety and worry and you can find more about his book at noiseinyourhead.com we're also gonna put some information about him up on our Facebook site because I know that a lot of you out there struggle with anxiety whether you know, you're someone who is autistic and listening and wants to look for new ways to cope with your anxiety, or someone who's, you know, just a normal person listening who struggles with anxiety in day-to-day life because our world is so full of all these anxieties that, uh, you know, as he mentioned, you have your phone on you constantly. Uh, you know, you may receive a text from work. A lot of people are working unknown schedules each week and may get called in for shifts. There are people who are in higher power situations who are basically on call all the time every day because a client may need them or they may have to uh, address a company emergency, uh, you know, at a field or whatever. That, uh, you know, none of us today can really have that relaxing time because there's always so much going on we're aware of the news we're aware of you know our family we're aware of every little situation um and so it's a struggle uh so being able to address this anxiety is good and uh you know this may provide tools for some of you out there to start to uh, address your anxieties so Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash theories of mind radio. You've been listening to Theories of Mind. I'm Paul Loudon here at Business 1110 KTEK, and I'll talk to you again in a week. Mm-hmm.